I graduated from seminary in 1999. In the three years I was at Asbury Theological Seminary, two of those years I was in a, a small group, accountability type of group, discipleship kind of group with uh, three other guys. And um, uh, two of those other guys are still involved in the ministry. One is not. Was, one, was involved in the ministry, wasn't even involved in the ministry, pastored a church right here on this district. He was on this district before I was ever on this district. Uh, anybody on this district would have told you that this person had tremendous potential and uh, had a bright future in ministry, seemed to have a lot of the gifts and a lot of the graces that one needs to succeed in ministry. Uh, but as one thing led to uh, another, uh, somewhere along the line, my friend uh, got off track. And somewhere uh, along the line, um, he uh, committed adultery on his wife. He, um, more than once, uh, both times with someone in the church, in two different churches, um, he uh, lost his wife, he lost his church. He lost his ministry. He lost his ordination. But man, let me tell you, at Asbury Seminary and at the start of his ministry career on this district, he was passionate for the things of God. When my mom and dad became Christians in 1956, it was Herman and Francis Toole who befriended them, discipled them, taught them what it mean, meant to be a Christian, introduced them to other Christians, introduced them to what the Bible is and what it means, um, gave them a lot of opportunities for Christian fellowship because my mom and dad didn't have other Christian friends and they needed other friends that they could be able to go out to eat with that were now of like mind. And Herman and Francis Toole um, had a lot to do with my mom and dad growing in the Lord and my dad eventually going into ministry. Everyone in Maysville, Kentucky, knew that Herman Toole was a sold-out Christian. Everyone knew where Herman Toole stood. Everyone respected Herman Toole for his Christianity and his faith. Somewhere along the line, he started sitting at home, um, watching TV and smoking cigars, which was at, absolutely out of his character. Uh, the cigars led to a glass of wine. A glass of wine led to a flirtation with his secretary, which led to a fantasy, which eventually led to acting out on that fantasy. Um, my dad and other Christian friends of Herman went to Herman in a Matthew 18 type, type of way and said, hey man, what are you doing? Um, and Herman, to these friends that had been so close to Herman, he looked at them and just lied right to their face and said, oh, why would she have an interest in a little old guy like me? Uh, Herman um, divorced his wife, uh, left the town, and died um, without ever repenting or turning from that. My dad preached his funeral wonder what my dad said. I'm sure that many of you can think of similar situations. 
you can probably even think of people in this church. Those of you that have been in this church for a considerable amount of time can probably think of people in this church 10, 20, 30 years ago or whatever that were an integral part of this church and somewhere along the way got off track. Somewhere along the way diverted from their um, commitment to Christ and now they are nowhere to be seen and some of you can probably talk about more than one person. So when we know of those situations, it's no wonder that Jesus records a, a part of the Lord's Supper and says, lead us not, uh, lead us not into temptation. When he gives us this model prayer, you know, there's not a whole lot in this model prayer. Could be, you, you could include it a whole lot more. I'm sure in our prayer lives we pray a lot more than just kind of the things that are mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus saw fit to be able to include in this, this few lines of the Lord's Prayer. He saw fit in Matthew 6, 13 to be able to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from Translations will say evil or evil one. Both of those are good translations. Could be either translation would be equally good to the original language. It's probably one of the most, it is the most difficult part of the Lord's Prayer for me. Because if you're a thinking person here, you've got to, this, this automatically brings some things to your mind. Does God does God lead us into temptation? And some of you now with everything in you are saying no. But yet, lead us not into temptation is a really good translation. And if God does not lead us into temptation, why did Jesus teach us to pray this way? Lead us not into temptation. And if God doesn't lead us into temptation, why in Luke um, chapter 4, does it say the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted? This is, a lot, this, this, this is hard. And, and those, those, those people that don't like this, and I, I revolt against that. I, the, picture, the biblical picture of God is not one that, that's hanging a carrot of temptation out in front of us and tempting with us. That's not the biblical understanding of God at all. That, that somehow he's holding this carrot out in front of us and says, see if we'll take it. And that carrot is uh, evil and, and tempting to us. That's, that's, we don't, I don't do that to my son. I don't tempt him to evil. Why would God do that? And that, there's something about that kind of, we revolt against that. But here we have this verse that says, lead us not into temptation. And we know that the scripture plainly says Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And some people have tried to reconcile this by rightly being able to say that the word temptation is also translated trials. The exact same word that is translated here, temptation, in other parts of Scripture is translated trials. Do we have James 1 up here? James 1 is, is, one, is one of the best examples of this. Um, uh, do we have James 1, 2 before then? Good. Consider it pure joy, my brothers... Whenever you face trials, that is the exact same word that's translated in Matthew 6, temptation. 
the exact same word. So some people have tried to reconcile this by being able to say, well, maybe it's not that not lead us into temptations, but maybe not lead us into trials. But that, uh, that kind of falls on its face as well. Because this verse says that trials are good for us. Uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, temptations. Same exact word, friends. Of many kinds. Next verse. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's a good thing. So why, if that's a good thing that we go through trials, why would Jesus say, pray that we don't go through that good thing that matures us in the faith? It's a hard verse, friends. And I've read all week, and I've listened to other preachers teach and preach on this all week, and we all disagreeing on this, and scholars have disagreed on this for ages. In fact, there are some people think that the book of James was, part of this book of James was written to refute some misunderstanding about that. Because is it James 1, 13 that we have, or 12 next? What do we have next up here? Uh, oh, this is the finishing of this last verse. Uh, the trials do good things for us. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. That's what trials do for you. And that seems like a good thing. Why would Jesus say, lead me not into those things that produce good things into me? Now go to James 1, 13. Now, some people think James wrote this to correct a misunderstanding on Jesus' teaching. Now, when tempted is the verb form of the same exact word that's translated trials up above it in James. It's the same word. It's the verb form of the exact same word. So within nine verses, the exact same word is translated trials, is translated temptation. And so James says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. And that's why people are saying God, J, James wrote this to correct the misunderstanding of Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Do you see the conundrum here? Do you see the difficulty in trying to rightly interpret that and for any preacher to stand in front of, of his church and be able to rightly try to be able to teach and preach what this verse means um i think it has to do with the context of whether this is translated temptation or whether this is translated trials and in the context that we have lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one it seems like evil one temptation it takes the context of what we normally refer to as temptation and not as trials i don't know what to do with lead us I'm just being as honest preacher as I possibly can. I do not know what to do with lead us. And after reading all week and studying all week and reading to I'm blue in the face about it, I have not read anyone's interpretation that I am satisfied with. It's, it's, a, it's something that's been a difficulty. But we're going to take this just in plain uh, for what it is. Be careful. And God, don't let me go into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. I, I, in one hand, I'd have to wonder, why does God even say, you know, lead me not into temptation? Because I don't know about you, but I can find it myself. And if you are a sincere Christian, you have struggled with temptation in some way. Oh, that might not have been a temptation to commit adultery or some big, huge thing, but in, in some way this week, you've been tempted to 
to not fully lean or not fully trust or not fully believe. Temptation is an everyday problem, especially for sincere Christians. And the testimony of the saints down through the ages is not as they grew closer to God, they got free of temptation, but as God continued to try um, to uh, uh, grow them up in the Lord, the enemy came and he continued to try to tempt and he continued to try to get them off the track. And so we have this little phrase for the Herman tools of the world and the, all the people that you've known that have seemed like they've been sincere Christian. He said, there never comes a time in your life, there never comes a time in your life where you are free of this. So you need to be able to pray about temptation. You need to be able to pray against temptation. And you need to be able to understand the existence of the evil one. Now let's, let's talk just a little bit about temptation this morning. First of all, can I tell you something that some of you are going to look at me and say, duh, I know that. But some of you don't know this. Do you know that temptation is not sin? Okay, grab that. Hang on to that. That's awfully important. Temptation is not sin. I can be tempted to do a lot of things, but not, not do those, and those are not sin. Uh, we can't live in this world without being tempted. Us guys who, who, who struggle so much with sexual issues and because we're visually stimulated, I mean, they, they use sex to sell everything. You can't buy tires without somebody having a, a, a naked girl up there in a bathing suit or something. And that's, that's true. Uh, pick up any men's magazine, and I'm not talking about Playboy or anything. I'm just talking about pick up Sports Illustrated or pick up ESPN. And when all the ads are directed mostly to guys, now look how they use some type of sexual issue to be able to sell whatever product they want to be able to sell. And just because I may be, look at something and may be tempted, or because I may be tempted not to trust and I may be tempted not to lean on Jesus and I may be tempted to say something that I shouldn't say or I may be tempted to, to tell you off and like and that doesn't mean that that's sin and get that please friends you may be tempted to smoke you may be tempted to drink you may be tempted to fill in the blank and how do I know that for sure well Jesus was tempted okay he was tempted And if Jesus was tempted and temptation is sin, then Jesus sinned and Jesus couldn't have died for his own sin then, nevertheless, yours or mine. So Jesus went through unbelievable temptation. In fact, listen to this. Jesus is the only one that's ever walked this face of the earth that truly understands temptation because he didn't give in to it. At some point in all of our lives, we'd given in to it. Jesus took the full brunt of temptation he took the full force of temptation temptation is over once I give into it Jesus didn't give into it so he took the full weight of that temptation so he sympathizes with us he understands us he understands what we're going through and even understands more of what we're going through because he took the best that the evil one could have could give him and he withstood that. Temptation is not sin. 
If we make temptation sin, then everything becomes sin. And why do we even fight against sin? Why do we even uh, wage war against it? Why do we even uh, pray against it? Because everything is sin, and it's, it's no big deal. Anytime I'm tempted, it's sin. So it trivializes sin in some way to be able to say that, that temptation is sin. And can I say something about uh, you know, a, a, an issue of our day that is, is hot and heavy in Christian circles and really just in, in all circles in the whole homosexual activity? It, one thing is important to understand and know that if someone has some homosexual tendencies, having those tendencies in and of itself is not sinful. Acting out on those tendencies would be sinful. It's an important distinction to be able to make. Let me tell you, I love my wife, but I'm not blind. My wife is not the only attractive person in this world. And I'm human, and I can notice an attractive woman, especially when they are half naked. I mean, like they are most of the time, you know? I don't have to act on that. I don't have to look back again at that. I don't have to fondle that thought. I don't have to think through that. But I, I'm orientated that way, friends. That's where my bent is. But I don't have to act on that bent. My, my acting on that bent comes in one way that God has given me. Temptation is not sin. It's important to be able to understand that. Jesus' temptation is recorded in both Matthew and Luke. And in, in Luke's recording of that, uh, it says at the very start of that that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then you have all these three temptations. And I don't have time to be able to go through all of that. But do we have Luke 4.13 up here? Jesus withstood all of these temptations, and it finishes that when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him, him being Jesus, unto an opportune time. When does temptation come, friends? It comes at an opportune time. If this was an opportune time for Jesus, he was 40 days out in the wilderness, he was hungry, he was alone. He was weak. And it was an opportune time. And the scripture says when Jesus resisted those that the devil left him. He finished it. But he left him until there comes another opportune time. Very few of you are, are having to deal with any temptation right now. Uh, in the middle of God's people, in the middle of the church house, listening to a pastor try to preach a sermon is not an opportune time. Oh, yeah, he can come and, and drift your mind and get you distracted and all that kind of stuff. But uh, temptation comes, friends, when at opportune times, like when you're alone. When you're alone. When you feel, when you feel um, weak, not strong, not especially spiritual, 
when, when, when there are things that are going on in your life that have not been particularly good and you could be in a, either a bad mood about that or kind of down about that or kind of just kind of feeling in, uh, real blue. And when people feel blue, they want to feel better and they'll do some things sometimes to make them feel better. See, there's opportune times, friends. And in, in Jesus' temptation, the, the, the alone and the weakness and the, the hunger, you know, why did he throw the bread in front of him? Because he was hungry. It was an opportune moment there to be able to tempt him with that. He couldn't have tempted him with bread right after he finished feeding the 5,000 and Jesus has had his full himself. So my question to myself and my question to each one of us is, is you know, what are those opportune times? In, in the recovery world, we call them triggers. What are the triggers that, that uh, may uh, crank up your cravings for that drug or whatever it may be? So I don't know what temptation that we're talking about. You have temptations and we all have different temptations. You have to know of those opportune times. You have to know of those opportune times. And alone as Jesus was, and feeling weak and down or blue and wanting to feel better definitely is another of those times. Um, none of your children or your grandchildren ever got in trouble in their teenage dating years when they were sitting in the living room with the rest of the family. They all got in trouble when they went alone. When we allowed them to go into the basement or wherever that is. Um, grandparents and parents, when teenagers are alone, is an opportune time for the enemy to come. And at you in your chaperoning and you in deciding what you're going to allow your child or your grandchild to do with a person they're dating needs to understand that much trouble happens when teenagers are alone. You can't be with them 100% of the time and all that, and I understand that, but friends, being alone without accountability is an opportune time. So I just want to take that from Scripture and be able to share with you and, 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 and to say, what are your triggers? What are the opportune times the enemy comes to you? You and your, you and your husband, you and your wife have had an argument. And it's an opportune time then for the enemy to be able to come and lie to you and to deceive you. And it's an opportune time. It's hard for the enemy to be able to come when things are really good and and, but when there's already a little foothold that he's gotten in and trying to drive a wedge between you, he can be able to come and convince you that she's wrong or convince you that he's wrong, and that's an opportune time. He's not stupid. God, lead me not. Don't let me go into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. It's, a, it's an admittance of our 
neediness, just like give us our daily bread is, and just like forgive us our trespasses is. It's, it's the admittance of our neediness. Don't, God, I know that I could fall. God, I am not so strong as a Christian that I cannot fall. So don't let me go there. I, 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 I am not, I have not totally overcome that issue and I can't flirt with that issue or play with that issue. God, don't let me go there. Deliver me. Deliver me from the evil one. It's an admittance of our neediness. It's an admittance of our dependence. Just like daily bread and just like forgive us. Same thing with lead us not into temptation. Now let me tell you, friends, I can sit here all I want to and pray lead us not into temptation, but if I don't put some action behind that prayer, it's worthless. I can be an alcoholic and pray, God, just, just let me stay away from let me stay away from those people and let me stay away from those triggers. Let me stay away from that. But if I just, uh, as an alcoholic, rent an apartment above a bar, I can pray lead us not in temptation all day long. All day long. This is a trivial little thing, but, you know, man, I can eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts at one time. I mean, I really can. I mean, this is a trivial thing. I mean, we're talking about, you know, gluttony is sin just like anything else is sin, but I mean, I literally can, and I mean, yeah, I mean, I can just, especially when they're hot, and you know, you know, and I can, you know, I can pray as I'm driving down Dorothy Lane or whatever it is, and the Krispy Kreme thing is there, and God, lead me not into temptation, and and I glance over there, and I and I notice that that. Uh, Fresh, hot, out of the oven sign, or whatever that says right there is there. Well, I didn't do myself any good by glancing over there to begin with. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have them, but I'll just circle the, I'll just circle the drive here, you know. And all the time going, lead me not into temptation, lead me not into temptation. That's stupid. If there's not some type of action, if there's not some type of action that corresponds with this prayer, I think you have to question the genuineness of the prayer. You'd have to question the sincerity of the prayer. And so I have an issue with another woman at work and there's some kind of a little mild attraction there. And if I don't do anything about that, like trying to move my cubicle to another place in the office... Or changing from the, the shift that we're on together to another shift. Or doing whatever I can be able to do to, to try to remove myself from that temptation. I can sit here and pray, lead us not in temptation to I'm blue in the face. And I wonder if it really means anything at all. There must be some action and some conduct that corresponds with this prayer, lead us not into temptation. Let me close where the scripture says and deliver us from the evil one. Can I just say 
to us sophisticated 2014 people that you have an enemy? And he's referred to in scripture by many different names. He's the accuser, he's Satan, he's the devil, he's the liar, he's the serpent, all those names. And he's real. And he has his minions that work with him. And we in 2014 have not become so sophisticated that we don't understand the reality of spiritual warfare. And there is an enemy of your soul that does not want you to finish the race. And this enemy of your soul, the only thing he can do to you is lie to you and deceive you. He can't make you do anything. He cannot make you sin. He cannot make you not believe. He cannot make you do anything. He can simply lie to you and make, you, make it look attractive to you. He can simply lie to you and say, Did God really say? Did he really? He didn't really mean that. I mean, not, you know, not in 2014. That's out of date. God, God didn't really mean that. And he can lie and he can deceive and then you have a choice on whether you're going to believe the enemy of your souls or you're going to believe God. You have a choice on who you're going to believe. That was the whole fall with Adam and Eve. They had a choice. Were they going to believe the devil? The issue there wasn't disobedience. Disobedient is a byproduct of not believing. The issue was not disobedience. The issue was who were they going to believe? Were they going to believe the voice of the enemy or were they going to believe the voice of God who said you can have any kind of fruit you want but you can't have the fruit from the tree that's in the middle here? Were they going to believe God or were they going to believe the enemy that says, you know, God is holding out on you. Look how good that fruit looks. It'll make you wise. And they had a choice on who they're going to believe, who they're going to trust. And they believed the lies of the enemy. The devil has not got a pitchfork and dressed up in red suit and horns. He wouldn't be any problem if that was him because we would recognize him. But the Bible says he dresses up as an angel of light. Man, it would be so easy if he just had a pitchfork and dressed in red suit and had horns. But he doesn't look that way. He looks like looks like us. He looks like everyday 2014 type of stuff. And even though the truth and the reality of that we have an evil one that tempts us and that lies to us, the truth is that sinning is an inside job. He can't make me do anything. And I can't stand up here and say, well, the devil really got the best of me anyway. No, I made a decision. And I listen to him. The responsibility is always on my shoulders. The decision was always with me. I have free will. And you do too. And you're a responsible moral agent. And if you're a Christian, you're endowed with the Holy Spirit with, with, with strength to say no, just like Jesus did. And in times when I don't say no, I have no one to blame but myself. And if I keep blaming him, 
or seeing him behind every single bad decision that I make and blaming it on him, I'm not hitting at the root of the problem. What did the verse say up here? We're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. By our own evil desires. He knows what desires we have. And he touches that. So what should I pray against? God, take that desire away from me. God, because if the desire is gone, he's got nothing to entice anymore. There's an evil one that wants you and your children and your grandchildren and his, 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 his minions are everywhere and heard everywhere. And we're supposed to be able to war against that. So do not be surprised when you fall into temptation. Expect it, Christian. It was part of the Lord's prayer. In fact, did I include 1 Peter 4.12 as we close? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. Same word. Same word. You are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Expect it. In this world, you will have trouble. We live in a fallen world. And uh, you know what? Listen, you know a lot of the problems that I have and that you have when we're going through difficulty... A lot of the problems are rooted in, we're surprised we're going through the difficulty. Why? Because I'm such a good person. And why does this thing happen to me who's a good person? Because we believe good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, even though we know that good, lousy things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. So why do we get all freaked out when a bad thing happens to us Christians? And we just can't, we just can't figure that out. Don't be surprised, friends, when you fall in all kinds of trials slash temptations. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, friends, when you are tempted because Jesus included it in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not. And I don't know what lead us means, okay? But God, I'm frail tempted to fall don't let me go there steer me away from there deliver me from the hands of the reality of evil in this world deliver me from that our communion tables are going to be opened by our friends now that are serving communion for us this morning um we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and you may want to be mindful of that as you come and receive communion this morning. There may be some issues that you need to pray about at this altar, some temptation issues that you're dealing with, and you may want to pray, God, just steer me away from that. And God, help my conduct to back up that prayer. Help me to do some things from a human perspective that back up that prayer. Father, I've done my best to preach a very hard passage, and I'm sure I've, in my humanness, I've not done it as well as I could have, but would you take these words that are from man, and 
would you somehow empower them by your spirit to help all of us in our walk with you. Father, I pray that, um, that we'll rely on you. And uh, as we go into our tempting times, we'll go just as J the scripture says Jesus went. He went full of the Holy Spirit. And Father, maybe, just maybe, that's why he withstood the temptation. Because he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for this area in all of our lives, whether we're teenagers or whether we're 85 years old. Um, steer temptation away from us. We're needy. We're weak. Deliver us from the reality of evil in this world. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Our tables are now open. Our altar is open for those who would like to pray.